Welcome back for week eight, day two of our look to the book of Isaiah. We're going to focus in on Isaiah chapter 61 today. And as we begin our look at this chapter, let me ask you a question. What if God advertised on a, on a job site, some kind of advertisement that said wanted all who will come to receive life's greatest gift and enjoy life's greatest challenges. No previous experience required. Only servants need apply. So let's say you apply. You, you decide to take the job, that this job of living with faith in a material world, of showing love to a needy world, of serving God in your everyday world. What's, what's the job description? How do you describe our job as a Christian? What are we supposed to do? We could turn a lot of places in the Bible to see answers to this, but maybe the clearest description is found right here in Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm not saying that just because it's a chapter that we're looking at today. I've got good reason for saying maybe the clearest description of what we're supposed to do in our Christian life is here. When Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, had to declare what he was sent to do, these are the verses that he chose, these verses we're going to look at today. And we're followers of Jesus. We're the body of Christ in the world today. So what he did while he was on this planet, we're to do. So here it is in these verses. It's, it's Christianity, Christian service in a nutshell. Our dis- job description as a Christian. We're going to look at two qualifications and six expectations. Now, we're going to go through them pretty quickly and let them build on each other. What are the qualifications for being a servant, a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, number one, the qualification is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is upon me. In Isaiah chapter 6, 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So first, the Spirit is upon me. You can't serve without the Spirit. Trying to live as a Christian without the empowering of the Holy Spirit is like, it's like trying to fly without wings. You just can't do it. Now, notice it says here, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is sometimes called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus. Here, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord. The sovereignty, God is in control. Even when you don't feel in control, and often we don't, the Holy Spirit is in your life, and He is in control. And you can lean on that. You can rely on that. That is one of the job description traits, qualifications of any servant. I got to be leaning on the spirit because he's the one in control and he's the one who has the power. And then a second qualification is not only has the spirit entered my life, I've allowed God's Holy Spirit through trusting in Jesus to enter my life. The second qualification is the Lord has anointed me. Jesus, as he began his ministry, knew that God had chosen him for the task. But we need to know that God has chosen us. Every Christian should know that they are anointed. Now, many Christians, they never have recognized that they're anointed because it sounds so spiritual. But actually, it's really quite simple. Anointing just means you've recognized that God has a specific plan for your life and ministry and that you're asking him for the power to live out that plan. And in doing that, everything we do is to be anointed. Sometimes we think the spiritual things, like we think of like church things, like preaching and singing in church, that has to be anointed. No, everything in life is to be anointed. The Lord has anointed me. So we need anointed accountants and anointed actors and anointed architects. We need to be anointed as we wash dishes and mow lawns. We need to be seeing anointed moms and anointed dads and anointed kids. The Lord has anointed me. That's the qualification for living out what it means to be a servant of God. Now, what are the expectations? What does God expect us to do as his servants? 
Let me start in verse one again and read this list of expectations that Jesus turned to as he started his ministry. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to, now here come the expectations, preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So here's seven things in these verses that God has asked us to do on an everyday basis. Number one, preach the good news to needy people. The good news that we preach is clear and simple. In the New Testament, the good news came to mean one thing, Jesus' death on a cross, burial in a tomb, and resurrection on the third day. So the impact of the fact that Jesus has died, forgiven you, resurrected, given you new life, that's the good news. The good news part doesn't hang us up so much maybe as the preach part, to preach the good news. Most of us think today of preaching as something that's only done in church. But no, all of us are to preach the good news. The, the word means, what does the word mean? It means to tell the truth in a way that fits the person you're talking to. You can do that. I know this word is taken on negative connotations sometimes. Don't preach at me and it's a negative thing we see is happening. But in the Bible, the word simply means you tell the truth in a way that fits the person you're talking to. We're to preach the good news to needy people. Second thing we're to do is we're to bind up broken hearts because human hearts are fragile. They're like frail ships on a stormy sea and they find themselves too often tossed against rocky shores, broken on the reefs of a shattered relationship or a failure in a job or, or just a simple discouragement in everyday living. We're to bind up broken hearts. What does that mean? It's like when, when a bone is broken. You bind up the arm so that you place the bones in a place where they can heal. That's what we do. When you bind up a broken heart, you put that heart in a place where it can heal with the right people, surrounded by God's love, soaked up in God's word, binding up broken hearts. You can't heal the heart, only God can. But to bind it up is to put it in a place where it can heal through your encouragement, through God's word, through teaching sometimes, but many times just through being with people and letting them know that God's with them no matter what. Bind up broken hearts. Third job description that we have here is the wonderful description of proclaiming freedom. God changes our lives through his grace and freedom. He doesn't change our lives through our rules and regulations. The servant who spends all their time talking about life-binding rules rather than life-changing grace is not following our job description, which is to proclaim freedom. And then fourth job description, a fourth thing we're to do is to proclaim God's timetable. Back in verse 2, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. God's favor, God's vengeance. Why are these two put together in this one verse? Because in some ways, they're one at the same, one and the same as far as God's timetable. Depending on your relationship or your lack of relationship with the Lord, you're going to enjoy the year of the Lord's favor or you're going to experience the day of vengeance of our God. So proclaim the truth about this deep need we have for a relationship with God. We continue to walk through what God says we're to do on an everyday basis 
as his followers. Number five, he says, you're to comfort the mourning. Comfort those who mourn. Jesus taught us, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But I want to remind you that blessed are those who comfort the mourning, for they're doing God's work. God's in the business of comforting people who are mourning because we have a lot of loss in our lives. We need God's comfort. Now, the sixth part of the job description plays off of this where the second thing we're to do with people that are hurting. We're also to provide for the grieving. Comfort the mourning, provide for the grieving. When people are grieving, they need comfort, but they also need provision. When people are grieving, that's a time for giving. Sometimes we think, if somebody's grieving, I just don't know what to say. I'll make them feel uncomfortable. If you don't know what to say, the best thing to say is not to say anything. They just need your presence anyway. But the truth is, it's not only saying things that's needed. We also need to do things in the lives of people that are grieving. Provide. Find a practical way to help. To find a way to love somebody in the midst of the loss that they've faced. I'll never forget many years ago when my wife Shondell's mom died up in Northern California and we needed to get in the car and take a long car trip up. It was a sudden death. We didn't know that it was coming. Renee Yap, one of our friends, knew that we were going and she came over and I looked out and she was washing the windows of our car. I didn't give her any things to wash the windows. She just realized they're in a long car trip. They need this. She didn't ask for what we needed. She just realized what we needed and she did it. Sometimes when people are grieving, they don't even know what to ask for. So you realize what they need and you do it. That's doing the work of Jesus. Now, there's a seventh thing in our job description here, wonderful thing. Seventh part of your job description is to bestow. This is a great, this is an awesome job that we have. We are not the givers. God is the giver. He's the owner. But we're the bestowers of some tremendous, some wonderful things in people's lives that God has given. It's like your company decides to give out these huge bonuses and you get to hand out all the checks. And people look at you and say, thank you so much. And you, you want to say, it wasn't me, it's, it's the company. But you get to accept all this gratitude that really is given to God because we bestow. And he gives this list. We bestow crowns of beauty for ashes, oil of gladness for mourning, garments of praise for despair. There's this picture of complete life change, beauty for ashes, gladness for mourning, praise for despair that begins in this world and that's finished in eternity. That's what we get to bestow. And there's this picture of crowns and oil and garments. Crowns were used to honor someone, honor a king, honor a new leader. Oil was used in healing, used in other ways in the Old and New Testaments, but much of the time it was used in healing. And garments, in the Old Testament, New Testament times of Jesus, garments expressed really what was going on, on the inside of you. Uh, when you were in grief, you would tear your outer clothes, you would wear sackcloth. When you were in rejoicing, you would wear these clothes of celebration. They were a sign of your hope or lack of hope. So crowns of honor, oil of healing, garments of hope. Who do you need to bestow some honor on today? Who do you need to bestow some healing on today? As you pray for their healing, you're bestowing on them something that Jesus has given. Who do you need to bestow some hope on today? Now, job descriptions are not just for reading, they're for following. Now, how would you feel about a worker who like memorized their job description but never did their job? So what's one practical thing, maybe as we've gone through these, that God's reminded you to do in your job, your wonderful privilege, 
of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Be practical, be specific, and then be committed to this most wonderful job that we have. Jesus, we want in prayer to ask you for the strength to do what you've given us to do. We remind ourselves that it's by the power of your spirit and the anointing of your calling that we do any of this. So help us not to look to our strength, but to your strength. And give us practical direction today in what to do to follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Tomorrow, we're going to look together at a fresh perspective on what it means to be saved. 